Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine and More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine and More. Welcome everyone to a special two-part episode of the NBA podcast presented by B-Ball Breakdown. I'm Brian Taporic and joining me as always is Morton Jensen. How are you, Morton? I'm good, Brian. How about you, man? I am still reeling from Stephen Curry last night. You know what? It's it's so fitting that he went supernova because right now it's 86 here in Denmark and it's been scorching all day. There so we go. it's just yeah, somehow his heat just came off off to us. So thanks, Steph. It's been a wonderful day. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn and complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Stephen Curry is responsible for global warming. You've heard it here first. Don't don't give Trump any more ammo. <laughs> oh, God. We're going to build a wall around Stephen Curry. And he's going to pay for it. Oh, boy. Let's pray that's not the case. Our, our third co-host today, uh, Sarah Chalea, could not join us. She says she's at work, but let's be honest, she is still contemplating life after Kevin Durant murdered her Spurs in Game 4. Oh, I feel sorry for her. Yeah, so we will yeah. we will recap all of the playoff action since last time. We'll talk about a lot about the Spurs' thunder. We will briefly touch upon Heat-Raptors, although, let's be honest, no one wants to talk about that series. And we will give our autopsy for the Atlanta Hawks, who have since left us since our last podcast but we have to first start with Stephen Curry who made his return last night we're recording this on a Tuesday so he returned in game four came off the bench looked a little rusty at first missed his first 10 three-pointers which he had never done before but because he is Stephen Curry he naturally heated up ended the game with 40 points scored 17 in overtime alone which is the most points a player has ever scored in overtime in a playoff game. Morton, was that the Blazers' last chance to make this a series? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I listen, regarding the Blazers, right, people are looking at them as these, uh, 
you know, this team that have no chance whatsoever since Steph is back or generally not have a chance because they won against a depleted Los Angeles Clippers team. I disagree. I think they gave Golden State a pretty big fight last mm-hmm. night, even with Steph struggling. I mean, I yeah, I know Steph was struggling, and that's not always going to be the case. But I'm sitting here thinking that Portland overall have just leaped several years in their evolution. Like, we thought they would be this rebuilding franchise who were going to collect assets for two to three, maybe even four years, and then try to get back into the game. Well, they just leapfrogged that entire process, and they have become legitimate free agent players, as far as I'm concerned. So, I mean, yeah, it was their last shot, I think. But you know what? I'm not counting them out. I mean, they are going to give Golden State everything they can handle. And I appreciate that, because that forces Golden State to step up their game, and they are going to need it when they meet San Antonio or Oklahoma City in the conference finals. For sure. Yeah, I mean, the Blazers still lost game two and Curry didn't play that game, but it's worth noting they were up 11 points heading into the fourth quarter. Like, as you said, they have been they've been giving the Warriors more of a fight than I think anyone really expected. Uh, even without Curry, we know we figured the Warriors would be a little worse. But Curry came back. He had 40 points and it still needed overtime for the Warriors to escape from Portland with the victory. So I'm just as impressed as you, and I, I'm on the same boat. Like, I think Portland has just cemented itself as a free agent destination, especially, you know, Damian Lillard is phenomenal. And I think there were questions heading into the year about how he would fare as the true franchise superstar without LaMarcus Aldridge. He's answered those questions resoundingly. Um, he's had back-to-back games of 30 points i think he had 10 assists in both games three and four as well so he's capable of carrying a team like whoever goes there doesn't necessarily need to be the number one option dame can be that guy they can have you know some complimentary stars around him including cj mccollum you know i think the thing that i'm most impressed with about game four aside from steph just murdering everyone is Draymond Green had 21 points, 9 rebounds, 7 blocks, 5 assists, and 4 steals, and no one is talking about him today. That one elusive steal, though. Yeah. He would have had the (laughs) 5.5 line, or the 5 times 5 line. Like, oh. You know what? We need someone out there to roll back the tape and just go searching for Draymond's 5th steal. I want (laughs) to see him somehow get credit for that. Yeah, Yeah. we could just have a, a rogue scorekeeper add an extra one in there. (laughs) <laughs> take take away one from Clay or from Andrew Bogut. They don't need him. So, I'm, you know, I'm actually just going to go back to one of your points regarding Damian Lillard. Yeah. Um, I agree completely with, with, with what you're saying, but I just need to note one thing. Mm-hmm. He had two very horrible misses last night in the overtime that were forced shots that he just jacked up, mm-hmm. had no no rhythm whatsoever. I hate those shots. Those were the two desperation shots that he took that kind of discouraged me a little bit Mm -hmm. because that's not really his game. He's usually pretty calm or under pressure. But last night, for the first time it seemed like ever, he really felt it. He felt everything on his back. And to the extent of that, I'm kind of concerned that he doesn't have the necessary firepower alongside him. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. he has CJ who can also create a little bit. But I, I think he needs to have like a sixth man who can also create as well as a big man who can draw in a double or at least facilitate something from the inside. Because 
he is forced to take a lot of shots, especially from downtown, and he has yeah. to take them off the dribble, and it's it's such a hassle, really, and it's not really... Yeah, it is his game to some extent, but when the game is on the line and you have to take like a pull-up uh, from the corner and you have to like tiptoe around the line, it's not optimal scenarios, you know? Right. Um, yep. Yeah, so I totally agree. Yeah. I, I, I think that's probably their biggest need this offseason is to add that third creator someone who can play alongside dame and cj uh yeah. in crunch time lineups you know that brian roberts played four minutes last night like that's not gonna cut it and no i like gerald henderson um but i believe he is a free agent this summer he's also he's not that type of ball handler creator you know he can do it occasionally but you're not gonna rely on him as your primary ball handler yeah. creator, that's for sure. So and and Alan Crab, he can shoot and he can score, yeah. but he's not like a creator, right? Yeah, he's I more mean, of a catch and shoot threat for sure. Yeah, but but okay, so I'll, I'll I'm at least gonna open the door for Crab because mm-hmm. he's young. Like, what yeah. is he? 23, 22, 23? Yeah, it's his third season, I believe. Yeah, all right, maybe even twenty four. Still some potential left. He could get mm-hmm. some ball handling down. Yeah, potentially. Well, Luckily, the Sixers are going to steal him away this summer, so Portland doesn't oh, have to you. worry about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, you've been on the crab wagon for a while. Oh, forever. Yeah, I'm yeah. all aboard. All aboard. Yeah, I think you also touched upon, uh, I'm actually writing a piece right now for bballbreakdown.com about Dwight Howard's next landing spots. Don't say it, Brian. No, no. I like him in Portland. No, really you don't. I really like him in Portland. Why? I do. I don't do. ruin Lillard. No, how dare it, you, Bri? He would be so good. He needs to be in a place where he can work in a spread pick and roll attack. He would be so good with Lillard as the ball handler, him as the center, and three shooters spotting up on the wings, including McCollum. Say that Crab, for whatever reason, decides he doesn't want to come to the Sixers and stays in Portland. You have McCollum, Crab, and then like. Aminu as your four, that's a scary team. That's a really scary team. I like what Mason Plumley has showed this year, and I, I don't think the Blazers are totally screwed if they have him as their starting center next year. But that strikes me as an area in which they could upgrade, and I really think Howard could thrive in that role. I don't know. I would probably try to find like a stretch four instead. Okay. Yeah, and then live with Plumley. Or maybe even a create, you know, a four who can create a little bit. Mm-hmm. I know that's not something that grows on trees, but if you can at least find maybe even a three that you can put in as the four, I'd right. rather spend my money on raw talent or not raw talent, but a clever talent and a guy who might be a little bit younger. Yeah, that's that's, that's really the concern I have with Dwight. I, I get what you're saying, but man, Dwight just has so much baggage. First of all, <laughs> yeah, he's gonna be 31 this year. Right, and it just seems like he's deteriorating a little bit, mm-hmm. and he's becoming weirder and weirder in some <laughs> regards. But that, fair enough, that may be due to James Harden. So right. I'm not gonna like ignore the James Harden effect. <sighs> yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I promise. I've upgraded to hell no to at least I'll think about it. Oh, good. Okay, that's but, all. I need. But, that's all I'm asking for. <laughs> but the price has to be right. Yeah, exactly. Pay, paying that's... Dwight like twenty five million? No, I mean, right. no, you sh- that's sh- that should be a non starter. And I get yeah. that the the cap is going up, and in the grand scheme of things, it's going to be a fair contract. Blah blah blah. I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I that's still the problem with 
him anywhere, really, because he's eligible for the Supermax deal, where he can get close to $175 million on a five-year deal, or almost 130 on a four-year deal, and starts at around $30 million. I agree, that's too much. I think it's got to be a reasonable price. But if he's willing to take a slight discount, or you know maybe yeah. another team's offering a little bit more, and he's willing to go to Portland for the chance to win... I just think what they've showed against the Warriors is that they are not far off from being a Western Conference power, uh, which, you know, in theory, at Dwight's age, he's probably, you know, he's made plenty of money. I'm guessing his priority is trying to find a place to win, you know, going up against (laughs) the Warriors, Spurs, and Thunder for the next couple of years isn't necessarily the best idea, but if he's going to go to a Western Conference team, you know, I'm... I would prefer him to go to Portland over, say, Dallas. I'm I'm surprised you didn't mention Al Horford though. Yeah, Al Horford's another one who I mean, yeah, he would be really good there. Yeah, I I don't think he'll go there at no, all. Right. I, I think he has a lot of a lot of other options. I think he I think even think he said he loved Atlanta, so I think he's gonna stick around the Hawks. Mm-hmm. But like Boston would be a superior choice, but. If he was keen on maybe looking at a young team like Portland, that would make sense, especially because he's like this perfect plug-and-play player in the new era, right? I mean, yeah. you, can, you can basically be any team and you can play Al Horford, no right. problem. Yeah. So, But in regards to Dwight, I mean, yeah, some other team is going to probably overpay him. Um, there is like this one team on the East Coast that's been talking about acquiring basketball players don't what even, is that don't no, what is that team you know the, no. the, the team led by brian colangelo where his father said something about you know we need basketball players really with an emphasis on basketball and experience <laughs> and you know as you know I, I just seem to be reminded that dwight has a lot of experience he's made the finals he's the three-time <laughs> defensive player of the year you know the resume is there, which is like what the Colangelos look at. So That's true. what is that team, right? Luckily, yeah. we already have about 16 centers. So even <laughs> if they wanted to sign him, don't think that's on the table. Your point, Doesn't about, matter. Your point about Horford is legit, though. He's he's also a a good target for them to consider. So we'll, you know, I don't want to bury the Blazers yet. They're down 3-1 in the series. They could, I mean, they're probably not going to come back, but at least on the table that they could uh but i think they're one to watch out for this summer especially because they're not far away from what they've shown against the dubs here oh they're really good and i think more teams are gonna do it portland style yeah gather a whole bunch of young guys who are looked at as failures to some Mm -hmm. extent and then give them playing time and just you know invite these players in and tell them we don't care what the media said we don't care what your previous team have said. We're just going to let you play and see how it goes. Which is what they did, and it worked. So, right. I mean, all right, Al Farouk Amino, like, he signed for, like, what was it, 30 million over five years? Or I think it was four-year, four 30 million, I believe. Oh, it was, yeah, okay. That's excellent, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is so sure. excellent. But 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 he would, he would, I mean, that kind of salary right now looks ridiculous because he you know played the way he did when when he was signed people were like eh, eh, you know fair deal maybe someone even called him overpaid yeah for sure. <laughs> not, not not me let's just uh i i never yeah okay i called him overpaid <laughs> there was some definite, up to that yeah definite eyebrow raising 
when the, that deal and the Ed Davis deal, he was three years, $20 million, I believe. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we'll talk about Portland GM Neil Olshey a little bit later when we touch on the executive of the year voting. But, yeah, I agree. I think uh, what Portland did last year was smart, and it's they're reaping the rewards right now. So yeah. we'll, we'll keep an eye on that series. I want to move over to the other Western Conference battle that we've got going on. Spurs-Thunder is now knotted at two games apiece. Thanks to one Kevin Durant, who reminded us all that he is extremely good at basketball. He went off for 17 points in the fourth quarter of Game 4, single-handedly outscoring the Spurs 17-16 to for the 111-97 victory. So now they are headed back to San Antonio for Game 5 Tuesday night, knotted at two games apiece. I mean, where do we even start here? We start with a question, Brian. Okay. Since you're you live in Chicago, I am going to assume that you have had a gun to your head before, right? <laughs> Thankfully, no. But knock on wood. <laughs> All right, but right now I'm pointing a gun to your head and I'm asking you. Yeah. Kawhi or Kevin Durant? Who's the better player right now? Right now. Wow, that's yeah. tough. <sighs> sorry, Sarah. And sorry, Jesse. But I, I'm taking KD. You have to think about it, though. Yeah, you definitely do. And at which we'll, we'll touch on this later. Leonard was second in the MVP voting this year, so voters did not share that opinion. KD was fifth. I just think KD is not a bad defender by any means. He's actually pretty decent on that end. And his Agreed. ability to create offense by himself and his ability to... like. He has the gravity based on his, I mean, before Steph Curry, he was the guy who could like pull up from 26 feet at any point. So he sucks defenders out, which really opens things up for his teammates. So I think, you know, Kawhi is amazing in his own right. He's a two-time defensive player of the year. He really showed some offensive improvement this year, but he's still not the type of go-to scorer who you're you know in a tie game with 15 seconds left you're not just giving him the ball and saying all right go get a bucket yeah win me win me the game right now now you can question whether that type of offense is good you know maybe it's fine that he's not that type of player because he's on the spurs and they rely on movement to open up looks so maybe he can just pass it to danny green for an open shot and that's fine but Sometimes you just need guys who can hit absurd contested jumpers in close games, which is what KD did uh, in the waning moments of Game 4. He really, I mean, he put the Thunder on his back. Like, if it wasn't for him, the Thunder would be down 3-1 going to San Antonio. Like, that could have been Kevin Durant's last game in OKC. So, I'm taking KD, but what about you, Morton? You know what? I'm actually pretty torn. Personally, I'm probably leaning a little bit to KD, mm-hmm. but I, I'm, I'm a sucker for defense. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but my point about this is when you have a series like that or this one and you actually have those two guys going up against one another, mm-hmm. you just know that the product is going to be excellent. Yeah. It's this. I mean, I the, mean, the rest of the playoffs have been pretty disappointing, all things considered. But this oh, series. Oh, you're, you're so kind. It's been <laughs> shit, right? Yeah, it's been yeah. shit. Yeah, so this series has been the icing on that on that sandwich. Like it's at least we've gotten one good series throughout the first two rounds. Hopefully, 
I said Spurs in seven before the series just because I wanted seven games. I honestly yeah. have no dog in this fight. I don't care who wins. I just want it to go seven games based on what <laughs> we've seen. I think uh, the thing I want to ask you about is, so Russell Westbrook in game three goes 10 of 31. After the yeah. game, he says, I took too many shots. Like, I can't do that again. And it seemed like he was a lot more restrained in game four. He still took 18 shots, only hit five of them, had 14 points, 15 assists. Do you think this the Thunder can win two of the next three games if Russ is taking this backseat approach or if he's not the kind of reckless bulldozer that he usually is? Well, you have to remember, I'm the guy that suggested that OKC traded for Chris Paul mm-hmm. because that's really what I think this that team needs. I, I and that's not to say Russell Westbrook is a bad player because I don't feel that way. Sorry, Nick, but that's not <laughs> you know, that's not the case. I love Russell Westbrook, but I just don't think he's the right player to put alongside Kevin Durant long term. Yeah, uh, I think I think he is a guy that is able to uh, on his own team average. You know what? I'm actually going to go real large here. Kobe numbers back in 06, like 35 points a game. That sounds has right. Yeah, I mean, because, like, James why not? Harden was doing 30 in Houston. Yeah. Close to 30. Like, yeah. And, and yeah, I could totally see Westbrook going up with that number. So, yeah. But I, I think it's so hard to, to, for him to balance his level of aggression uh, and then sort of implement KD. Mm-hmm. At times, he finds some, a, a groove and then he just shoots like seven straight possessions. And that's fine when the ball goes in, but... Even at the that even when it does, you still have KD outside the three waving, not right. getting the ball, and he loses his groove. And, and you know, I don't believe in the hype about the true point guard, but Russ does need at times to find that balance of getting Kevin involved and his, his, himself involved. Yep. I think he's gotten a lot better just finding the open man like overall. Mm-hmm. But he needs to seek out KD specifically at times and make sure those two play a two man game. Uh, it seems like good things happen when they each are in like the late twenties. It's it's so tough to answer though because you know what his 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 mindset is. It's always like it's on. You know, it's always so aggressive and KD is like a little laid back. So I think at the same time, even though I'm kind of you know <laughs> criticizing Westbrook a little bit, I also feel like that yin and yang they have going on is kind of cool. Right. I kind of think it works. I mean, they wouldn't be giving San Antonio a fight if it didn't. So yeah. I'm not sure there is a well. I'm sure there's a problem, but I'm not sure it's that big of a problem. Yeah, I mean, to your point, game three he has 31 points on 31 shots. KD has 26 on 18, and yeah. they lose by four. So, yeah. you know, if you balance that out a little bit, if KD is closer to 25 and Westbrook's closer to 25, you can, based on their shooting percentages, you can realistically extrapolate that OKC probably wins that game. I think the thing that goes a little bit underrated about Westbrook is that he needs that aggressiveness and he he needs to be a threat to drive to the basket every time because that draws defenders like you can't yeah. just guard him one-on-one especially if he is barreling full steam ahead to the basket uh, so you probably have someone help over and then that's going to open up at least one or if not two of your teammates the thing is you just he, his shot selection is, I mean, that's been the criticism of him forever. Like he, you know, he had 
10 three-point attempts in game three. And you've seen that stat circulating this year that I believe it's... Third worst all time. Yeah. With guys 15, over, what was it? 1,500, yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. So that's not ideal, especially when KD only took five three-point attempts on the night in game three. Um, it's really, I mean, he's got that little mid-range game. And if that's falling, he's unstoppable. Yeah. But he definitely, it's just, it's a a game-to-game balance with him. And he, it's hard to say he, he only needs, you know, he can't prescribe a number of shots that Russell Westbrook is limited to because no. some games he's on. And if he's on, then you just got to let him be him. But um, I'm really, more so than the KD Leonard matchup in Game 5, I'm most interested to see what Westbrook looks like and which Westbrook shows up. Because if it's this, this even slightly hesitant Westbrook, I think San Antonio gets out of there tonight with the victory. I would, I would agree. Just going back to your point about Westbrook and the often criticized shot selection, mm-hmm. I feel there's a huge double standard within the NBA community and NBA fans. Mm-hmm. Let's say Russ takes twenty mid-range jumpers in a game, but at least 55% of them goes goes down and he's hot, right? Yeah. Everyone's going to go on Twitter afterwards. Oh, he took good shots. Right. And then right. in the other game if he t- if he got like 20 20 of the exact same shots but he only made 5, then oh, that's a horrible shot selection. It's so utterly ridiculous because he takes the same shots game in and game out. Sometimes they fall, sometimes they don't. I mean, yeah. sometimes he's overly aggressive and sometimes even when he's overly aggressive the shots go in there's like that i I think he's very similar game to game i don't think he's this wild card that people make him out to be so i think a lot of that has become like the hype like the the criticism here it's like okay you know the twitter crowd going crazy and that feeds into other people and then it becomes a thing and then articles are being written and oh it's been a problem for years well mm-hmm. shit you made it a problem <laughs> it might not have been a problem you know right yeah that's a really so, good point but i do agree that he needs to at times tone down and read the game that's really that's yeah. probably the best thing i can i can say he needs to read the game uh like i mentioned this previously like damien last night he didn't read the game when he took those two ill-advised threes he was just thinking about getting a, getting up a shot Mm-hmm. When Russ falls into that category, and you know, hell, every NBA player falls into this category. Even LeBron, even KD, hell, yep. even Kawhi Leonard at times, it happens. Um, then he gets scrutinized to like a perverse degree, mm-hmm. and I think that's quite insane, really, because he's, as you mentioned, he's the one just putting this tremendous level of pressure on every defense against him. I think he draws tremendous amount of fouls he can get to the line he can hit him by the way yeah and he can facilitate he rebounds and he gives so many transition opportunities for the funder overall that yeah i I, at times i call him directly underrated i mean that's yeah and then at times he's overrated right (laughs) right it happens it's he's just not as stable as other guys but in the end it's not like he's doing a whole bunch of things differently it's just the nature of the game yeah, to the read the game point, I think that comes obviously comes into a play with Durant just because he's handling the ball so much. But really, my thing is with Steven Adams, who's been... In game three, he had one shot attempt. Yeah. In game four, 
he had eight, and he's had 16 and 11. Yeah. You know, that's been the big advantage so far for OKC is the front court because LaMarcus has been going nuts, although he's he hasn't totally cooled off, but he's not dropping 40 points a night in the last two <laughs> games. But Tim Duncan, he looks old. He looks really old. And David West, David West and Boris Diaw have not been providing much help. So it's when they've been going to Ennis Cantor and Steven Adams, it's been a big advantage for OKC. So, again, to your read the game point, I think Westbrook really needs to trust in his teammates that aren't named Kevin Durant. He needs to trust Ibaka, Cantor, and Adams that they've got a matchup advantage right now, and they need to exploit that because that's, you know, you can't beat the Spurs with just two players. But if you get your bigs going, then you don't necessarily need, you know, Andre Robertson is totally useless. You're probably not getting 17 from Dion Waiters again. But if yeah. you get 30 points, 40 points from your front court, then, you know, all of a sudden, KD and Westbrook have 50, 55. That's 90 to 95 points right there. So I'm very interested to see what happens tonight. I want to give a brief shout out to Tony Parker, who I thought before the series would be useless and has very much. He's not dead. Been. Yeah, he looks good. He's not dead. He, he had a game high 22, or a team high 22, I should say, uh, on game four on 10 of 16 shooting. He was really just abusing Westbrook and pick and rolls for a while there. So props to him for. Not looking like a corpse. You know, hopefully Duncan can snap out of this, but otherwise I think we, we need to start bracing Sarah for some possible <laughs> retirement talk this summer. Well, you know, you have to remember both Duncan and Danny Green went scoreless. Yeah. That doesn't happen often, especially for Danny Green, right? That's true, right. Uh at least current version Danny Green. I could sort of anticipate Duncan doing it a few times because the man is forty. Yeah, I mean, right. But Danny Green taking three shots, missing them all in yeah. 28 minutes. I'm I don't see that happening once more. I see him coming out hot tonight, like hitting five triples and just stretching mm-hmm. the court, opening everything up for Kawhi. I mean, Kawhi himself went over four from downtown, and you know the Spurs when they don't have the long ball going, and not that they take the long ball all that much, but it's effective when they do. Yeah, and they were just two of twelve that game. So getting just six points from the from the three point line for him, that's not enough. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I I think they're gonna do a lot better now, especially with Pop's uh, adjustments. He's mm-hmm. still the best adjusting coach in the league, in the history of the league, actually. Uh, yeah, I I still have the Spurs, man. Yeah. I, I really yeah. I would be surprised as hell to see Oklahoma City take this series. I really would. Yeah, I still have the Spurs as well, but I would be. I would be surprised but not totally shocked because I have been at least a semi-believer in OKC all year. I I still think their late-game offense is going to cost them at one point, possibly tonight, but we'll see what happens. I I think we need More Boban, by the way. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand why they haven't gone to Boban a little bit more, given that the amount of minutes they played to Steven Adams. Right. I mean, yeah. You know? I wouldn't be surprised if that's one of the adjustments we see tonight. Because they've got to do something, especially if that front court gets going early. Yeah, and you know, even if that doesn't happen, who cares? They're going to get KD in the summer anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh please, please. Oh, you know what? Let's no. just, let's just cross that bridge for a moment. Yeah. 
if that happens, the Spurs Golden State, you know, conference finals next year. Oh my god. That is not just gonna be the NBA finals, that's gonna be like the Olympics as well. It's gonna be like the NBA finals, the Olympics, the the world championship all in one. They need to like literally cancel the Western Conference playoffs and just do a best of twenty one of that series if that happens. Yes. Yeah. That's that completely yeah, I mean, oh, if that happens, I, I would love to see Durant in a Spurs uniform, and just being taught under Greg Popovich. That's like fantasy, the you know, fanboy fantasy level crazy. Yeah, I mean, let's let's not so get good. Sarah's hopes up here. She'll because uh, <laughs> when that doesn't happen, she's gonna hate us forever. Oh, when that doesn't happen, I hear where you're. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll touch on KD's free agency in a later <laughs> later podcast because I'm. I've got a new theory about what he's gonna do, but let's Intriguing. let's uh, let's reluctantly turn our attention to the East now because we Ugh. have we have to talk about this series briefly. Toronto Miami is now knotted at two two as well. Thanks. I'm to, nodding off. Yeah, you know, they're they're <laughs> knotted at two. I'm nodding off, man. Yeah. Thanks to one Dwayne Wade who has had back to back thirty point games the first time in the playoffs since 2010. That was nice though. Yeah. He looks, I mean, he looks like his pre-Heedle self, which is great to see because there are a lot of people who have been on his case as, you know, being on his last legs and he's had the knee problems the last couple of years. So it's it's good to see prime D-Wade back even for a couple games. Also terrific to see that DeRozan and Kyle Lowry has remained consistent in being inconsistent. Awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the big... The big thing to take away from Game 4 is that DeRozan sat out almost all of the fourth quarter yeah. uh, until Kyle Lowry fouled out with less than two minutes left. Then he came in. He did bang up his right thumb, I believe, in Game 1. And he's been wearing a wrap on his hand when he meets with reporters during shoot-arounds and practices. So I'm wondering if that's a bigger issue than we realize or if he's really just not that good. Yeah, I mean, Corey Joseph was the raptors best guard in game four he was he was even though he wasn't like completely efficient 14 14 points on 17 shots is never good but he just seemed like to be under control yeah and so that's definitely something to watch for with this series moving forward is if lowry and derozan can finally get it going because the big matchup advantage that toronto had for the first couple games was jonas valanciunas but he is now out for the series with the sprained ankle uh you would think miami would be thrilled about that but hassan whiteside is also out for the series with a sprained mcl so both starting big men yeah both starting big men probably the most intriguing part of this matchup until Dwayne wade started going off both of them are out for the series. And now, I mean, that game went into overtime last night and no one was excited. And then <laughs> Golden State Portland went into overtime last night and everyone was like, thank you. that We deserve this. After having to watch that overtime game, we deserve this one. So how is, have you changed your prediction at all? I think we both had Miami in six before this series started. Did the JV and Whiteside injuries affect your outlook? I, I think... Toronto is losing a little bit more than Miami is mm-hmm. simply because I think Miami just can compound the issue a little bit better. They have like Dwayne Wade who can come into the post a little bit. 
yep. Amari can get extended run and he can score a little bit. You can put Dang at the four. Yeah, well, Dang plays the four, but in super small lineups, you can even get away with playing him at the five at times. You know, mm-hmm. they have so many possibilities there. Whereas Toronto has Bismack Biombo, who's a wonderful defender, wonderful rebounder, and he was even he even looked good offensively last yeah. night. I mean, he can't five out of five from the free throw line. That's uh, encouraging for him. I don't remember seeing him go flawless uh, on that high volume before. So, Yeah, and he had that murder dunk as well. Yeah. I mean, so if he can build off that, that's good. But right. I, I don't assume that he can build off the offensive production because I don't see him as an offensive-minded player. So mm-hmm. I think Toronto in that regard loses a little bit more. No, it doesn't change my perception of the series, though. Uh, I, I could go seventh now, a seven-game series now, maybe. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, what's really important here is it's not going to get any more exciting. It's still going to be That's like true. so <laughs> utterly boring. Like here's here's the thing: the ass that is the 2016 NBA playoffs have only squeezed out two diamonds, and that <laughs> is Spurs Thunder. And Golden State Portland. Yeah. So far. I mean, true. I have not been excited really for any series. I oh okay. You know, Boston Atlanta was kind of yeah. okay. That right. was kind of okay. Yeah. But outside of that, it's just been horrific. It's been yeah, it's so been rough. So many blowouts. I even think there's a record going already. There the more right. wins with twenty five percent margin or twenty five point margin ever in the playoffs <laughs> already oh, by the second round. Yeah. That's so exciting. yeah, so to answer your question, who cares? <laughs> yeah, that's 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 really the point. Because now, I mean, JV is out for the rest of this series. Whiteside, they keep <laughs> the Heat call him day to day, but uh, I mean, he has a sprained MCL. Steph Curry just missed two weeks with one. Yeah, he's not coming back for the series, and if Miami advances there's a decent chance he misses part of the next series against Cleveland too. So I think the big takeaway here is that whatever chance either of those teams had of even putting the tiniest scare into Cleveland, probably gone now. I think we can safely book the Cavaliers into the finals unless LeBron James has both of his legs amputated tomorrow. Like, do you even think Cleveland at any point feared either Miami or Toronto or anyone? Miami a little bit. Miami, Toronto, no, but I think Miami... Because of what, though? Just because of the old LeBron Wade factor? Yeah, I think that's part of it, and they have the small ball lineup to challenge Cleveland. I think the dang at the four look gives Cleveland some problems. Having Whiteside come off the bench, I mean, they've been starting him in the playoffs, Mm. so maybe that changes, but having him come off the bench presented some problems. They don't have a the true burly center to go up against him since Timothy Mozgov is basically out of the rotation. He, he Whiteside caused some problems yeah. for Tristan Thompson in particular. And Cleveland's big strength against Atlanta was on the glass. Like they out rebounded them by 30 in the four game series. Uh, I think it was 54 to 38 on the offensive glass. So getting a second possession is really crucial and just breaks Cleveland's opponent's spirit. But having Whiteside there, you know, he's bigger than Tristan. And that's going to negate the ability to extend possessions a little bit. So, again, I, I 
I picked Cleveland in the finals before the playoffs started, I think, as did just about everyone. But I do think Miami could have at least put a scare into them a little bit. I, I just think that went out the window when Cleveland hit 25 threes. Yeah. And then just yeah, can somehow point. continued hitting, like, tw- what, 21 and then 16? Yeah, I think they shot almost 51% from three-point range Jeez. against the Hawks throughout the series. So I, I mean, come on. Right now, they're playing, like, the Golden State Warriors, which is yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah, if, I mean, if they keep shooting like this, they have nothing to worry about. I don't know that you can count on J.R. Smith to continue shooting like this. Oh, oh you can. Kyrie... As soon as you just said the words count on and J.R. Smith in the yeah. same sentence, no. I mean, you Right. Can... As they learned last year, like he, he was really good against the Hawks in the conference finals, and then he plays the Warriors and just went ice cold. I think he was under 30% from three against them. So there is a decent chance that our boy J.R. cools off a little bit in the next series. Yeah, I mean, if they keep shooting threes like this, it's going to be... I mean, it's possible, not necessarily likely, but it's possible that Cleveland goes faux, faux, faux and sweeps all three in the East. What what would it be called if you go faux, faux, faux and then get swept in the finals? Yeah. <laughs> like faux, faux, faux. Like, yeah. uh, something I like think, that? Right, that sounds about right. I kind of have a theory on the you know, the poor playoffs overall, Brian, when I'm looking at the series, because yet, yet we're sitting here, we just, we just know Cleveland is going to make it. And we know like one out of, you know, Oh no, just hit to hell. We know it's going to be golden state, right? Can yeah. we, can we just call it? I, I, sorry, Sarah, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Okay. If, if so Steph's healthy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's those two, because I've been sitting here really wondering why these, these playoffs have been so, poor and the level mm-hmm. of quality has swung tremendously and it dawned on me that so many teams even th- those that have been in the playoffs this year have no freaking clue where to go in terms of where yeah. the development curve is if they right. want to rebuild everyone there are so many teams right now that wants to rebuild wants to reshuffle yeah. wants to retool the, and it, because everyone had the same fear, we don't want to be stuck in the middle. Well, you know what? In a 30-team league, someone has to be in the middle sometimes, and everyone yeah. is avoiding it. They want to be at the mountaintop, or they want to be down in the rain, in the in the mud puddles. That's where yeah. they want to be, either or. And because this level of frustration for teams that don't want to be in the middle, you just see so many teams that are not really defined make the playoffs yeah. and not really knowing what to do with it when they get a little bit far, uh, further. I mean, hell, I, I don't even think Portland knew, you know, getting to the second round. Oh, like, no. oh, okay, what yeah. are we doing here? We, we didn't even plan on this. And right. Miami potentially going to the Eastern Conference Finals, like, okay, but what about next year? We don't even know if Hassan Whiteside is going to return. We don't even know if Dwayne Wade is going to return, if he demands yeah. a ridiculous salary. What about Lou Aldang? There are so many open questions to to everyone really that there is like this sense of teams not knowing who they are yet and it's frightening because what about next year right yeah it's a good point it's actually a perfect transition uh to our hawks because they now have been swept by the Cavs twice in the playoffs in the last two years they have al horford and kent bazemore as unrestricted free agents uh, I actually just wrote a piece for bballbreakdown.com about what's next for the Hawks. Aside from Horford and Bazemore, 
they have to figure out what's going on with the point guards. They have Dennis Schroeder, who is up for an extension this year. If they don't sign him to one, he will be a restricted free agent next summer. Jeff Teague is a free agent next summer. The Hawks don't have a single player guaranteed to be under contract past 2016-17. So to your point, they don't know what the hell they're going to be in 18 months. And they were shopping Horford, Teague, and even Kyle Korver at the trade deadline, according to ESPN. Yeah. Um, but they didn't actually make a move. So, you know, I, I'm really curious what they do this summer. Because if you bring Horford back, you know, that's probably going to be about $145 million on a five-year deal. They could, there's a way for them to re-sign both Horford and Bazemore. They'd probably have to do Bazemore first since they don't have his early bird rights, which means they can't exceed the cap to uh, sign him. So they would need to get him signed first, then do Horford, because his cap hold is about $18 million, I believe, so it's smaller than what his salary would be. So they could just bring the band back, and it sounds like uh, head coach Mike Budenholzer wants to do that, but it begs the question, like, if they do that, they're basically capped out. You know, how is that team any noticeably better than the team that just got swept twice agreed agreed that's gonna be the big question by the way while we're at it during this summer we need to like devote an entire podcast just to cap holes because yeah. it seems like that's an area that not not everyone gets is that fair to say mm-hmm. and that's that's yeah, that's completely so. fine by the way because the cpa is complicated as hell so right no not judging but that's yeah that's a fair point uh yeah in regards to atlanta they really i don't think they even know I, th- yeah. I think they signed Paul and just decided, you know what, let's let's run with what we have and let's see. And then if they somehow were to get the same magic as last year and win like 50 games with near the all-star break or all 40. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, then they could continue their run, but they didn't. They really took a step down, understandably yeah. so. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I think they're really considering all options i I remember the trade deadline thing i was doing a live trade deadline show on my danish podcast and we were looking at like so many feeds you wouldn't believe it and horford and corver kept coming up it wasn't just one time two times it was like also beat writers i mean they were legitimately shopping those guys and when you do that you either have no idea what you're going to do like 18 months from now or even half a year from now or you are sort of in the process of saying let's blow it up and start over no deal was found which is fair and then they decided to go all in because they might as well use al for as long as they could i get that Mm -hmm. but now they risk losing him for absolutely nothing as well which is yeah tough honestly yeah if they lose al for nothing if they lose base more where do they go i mean they have to trade Millsap, right yeah, I think so. That's, that was kind of the conclusion I reached, is that if those two guys leave, your best player is about to be 31, and he's, I mean, he has a player option for 2017-18, but he's probably going to turn that down depending on what the new CBA looks like. Yeah. So, you know, basically your entire team is heading into a contract year. So it in one regard, it almost forces you to give Horford whatever however much he wants, and then you see what happens next year. I mean, I think the the problem with trading Horford and the same thing happening with Dwight Howard is that no team wants to give up a significant number of assets for a guy who can walk in three months. 
So now you have Horford signed for four years, five years, whatever it may be. Then a team may say, all right, we get, you know, three, four years of Al Horford after this coming season. We'll actually give up something for that. Yeah. Part of the problem there is he's going to be making so much money. Do you really want to be the team that's paying him 30 plus million when he's 34? No. And even if you are, just the way these contracts are going to be, you know, jacked up over the next two years, it's going to be really hard to match salaries. Guys just aren't going to have 30 plus million dollar salaries who were signed under the previous salary cap. Yeah. So it's going to be a real challenge for Atlanta. Um, I think, you know, I have a feeling they're just going to re-sign Horford. I think they have to let Bazemore walk just because I think he's going to get more money than they're willing to pony up. But that basically puts them right back where they were this past summer. You know, they re-signed Millsap, let Damari Carroll walk. Now they have a glaring hole three again. So not it's not easy for the Atlanta Hawks. And it, as to your point, I think it speaks to the uncertainty awaiting a lot of franchises this summer. The Hawks are just cursed because remember the ISO Joe years? Yeah. That was all the talk of the town. That was the Hawks are stuck. Like they right, at, right. at the most are gonna make the second round. Then they decided, you know what? You're right. We're gonna make some changes. We're gonna mix yep. it up a little bit. We're gonna get a new coach. We're gonna get some some very good veterans in. We're gonna we're gonna do something different. We're gonna trade Joe, trade Josh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And now they find themselves right back in the middle. I I will say this: it's a better version than the ISO Joe teams, though. It's For sure. it's more For entertaining. Sure. It's better disciplined and way better defense. I like watching them play, so that's a bonus. But they're still in the same goddamn place as they were five six years ago. Yeah, I mean, this is the Truman Show. Like it goes all around, <laughs> around, around. You see, yeah. around, around, yeah. around. This this is like the Hawks and. It sucks because they have the potential to be so good, Bri. Yeah. Especially Budenholzer. Yeah. I think it speaks to the challenges of not having a superstar to build around. Yeah. You can you can construct a 45-50 win team pretty easily. But if you don't have that true like franchise caliber guy, it really caps your ceiling. So, I have a theory on that, by the way. And that's, this is just me. This is not like anything I've read or any. I think Jeff Teague was the guy they hoped would break out to become a superstar. Mm. They after the two thousand yeah the two thousand eleven second round series against Chicago. That was the oh, yeah. Derrick Rose's MVP the, season. Yep. Yeah, I think it was Mike Bibby who went down. Was it Mike? That that sounds right. Yeah, I think he. Oh god. Yeah. So so long. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeff got some run, and he did well. Right. And he did well against the league's freaking MVP. So yeah. the Hawks decided, you know what? Next year, you're going to play. And he so he did. 33 minutes a game, and he started looking real good. His shot selection mm-hmm. was awesome. He ran the team. Defense was good. I mean, he did well. And yeah. I think they really hoped that he would step into like the upper echelon of stardom it's interesting yeah and then when yeah when it never happened and he got stuck being well stuck he's a he's a tremendous player just don't get me wrong he's a tremendous player but he he got he got stuck at like the very good level 
not quite yeah, like, yeah just a, a fringe like, all-star that made the all-star team and yeah, that's like an, an above average point guard yeah. probably not top five but like somewhere in the top 10 to 15 range. yeah exactly so when he didn't reach that yeah that capped their potential yeah yeah it's a good point so we'll, we'll keep an eye on the hawks this summer they got a lot of tough decisions on their hand well that'll do it for our first part of our two-part podcast Join us next time as we talk about the MVP race and the Executive of the Year balloting, both of which came out earlier this week. Until then, be sure to check out bballbreakdown.com for all of your playoff action. We've got series recaps coming up, game recaps, we'll have series previews, and be sure to check out part two of the podcast coming out very short. Easter is coming up and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine and More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine and More. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in-store or online at TotalWine.com. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Moon. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.